0: If you will, please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible, beginning in the Old Testament, the new sermon series that we have begun this new year, and will take us up to Easter, maybe even toward the summer. So we are steadily working our way through uh, this wonderful account of God's faithfulness, of God's people From times of old. Joshua chapter 1, last week, Pastor Russ brought to us a word from verses 1 through 9. We'll continue in chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days, you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that Yahweh your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, commanded you, saying, Yahweh your God is providing you a place of rest. And will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until Yahweh gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that Yahweh your God is giving them. Then you, then you shall return to the land of your possession, and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may Yahweh your God be with you. As he was with Moses, whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Let's pray and ask God to bless our study of his word. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this word, your holy word that was recorded for us from Years and years ago, to encourage us, to teach us, to instruct us that we may be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us, teach us, we pray in His name. Amen. It was Friday a week ago that I woke up that morning with a very sore throat and a very high fever. And after a trip to the doctor, in the realization that I was down for the count and that it was going to take several days to recover, my first thought was, how am I going to be able to preach Sunday morning? Well, a few hours of feeling very, very bad, I realized I'm going to have to go to the bullpen <laughs> to the, uh, my trusty closer, <laughs> our great associate pastor, Russ. I told Brian I was very sick. <laughs> Brian, I need you to take command. <laughs> Do you have time to prepare a sermon, (laughs) lead communion, do all that our pastoral duties require of us on Sunday morning, and Pastor Russ, like the good commander he is, I've got it. You rest and watch football all weekend. (laughs) So I followed my pastor. (laughs) Pastor Russ, in a very real way, was a Joshua to me and to Cornerstone this past weekend, as he stepped up to lead in my place. Now, I didn't die. I think Moses did, as we read earlier in chapter 1. Felt like I was going to. But someone had to lead. Someone had to take command because I was unable to fulfill my duties. And Just to remind you of the situation that's going on here in Joshua chapter 1, you may recall that Moses had died. And now Joshua was called to lead the people of God into the promised land. And here in this second uh, half of chapter 1 in the book of Joshua, we find Joshua, the commander of the armies, Moses' trusted right hand, he was now fully in charge. And he was now commanding all the officers, all the leaders of the tribe, to prepare to go and take the promised land by conquest as Yahweh God had directed them. Now, it's easy for us to... Read these these old Bible stories and and learn about the history of God's people and of Israel and kind of think that these are neat, these are encouraging stories, but they really don't apply to us today. This is old stuff, that's ancient Bible time stuff. What could these portions of scripture and studying these stories, what could they possibly teach us about life today? Well, I believe there's a lot. (laughs) There's a ton that we can learn here about being the people of God. There's a lot that they can teach us, and I hope to demonstrate that to you this morning. First of all, we believe and we affirm that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. And the Old Testament is no less important for the Christian life in the New Testament. We love the Old Testament. Sure, there are ceremonial laws and sacrificial Uh, worship laws that we do not follow this day because Jesus Christ was that once and for all, that final sacrifice of atonement. But there's plenty of wisdom for us to glean from God's dealing with his people in the Old Testament, and specifically how the Old Testament people responded to the Lord their God. We do, of course, need to make modern application for our lives from the Old Testament, and so to do that, I think it will be helpful for us to understand uh, the book of Joshua and certainly really the, the, the whole Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And with that, we understand the Old Testament, the people of God were Israel, was the nation of Israel, a literal geographic and ethnical group. But in the, and in, in we might say in the Old Testament, Israel was the Old Testament church, uh, they were the called-out people of God, called to follow His will, to follow His ways on earth as it is in heaven. And so in many ways, these accounts in Joshua, these are, these are the seeds. This is the beginning of God's people calling, called to be His church, doing His will, fulfilling the Great Commission, which in this day, in Joshua's day, was to go and to take the promised land and to be a light to the nations. Understanding this principle fits into this greater narrative that we find in Scripture of what the theologians call kingdom theology. This is the beginning of the kingdom. To understand what kingdom theology is, we must understand what God's original purposes were in creation and what His final purposes are when Christ returns. And that great purpose is for Yahweh God's kingdom to be established on earth as it is in heaven. That was always and still is His plan. That was Adam and Eve's job at creation, to work and to keep the garden, to be fruitful and to multiply, to to fill the earth with the knowledge of God. And this certainly was the job of His kingdom the way that many scholars and theologians have explained kingdom theology is this. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. And the way that God's kingdom will be established on earth as it is in heaven in Joshua's day is by the people of God taking possession of the land of Canaan, which was the land of promise. This, the book of Joshua records for us the fulfillment of a centuries-old promise given to Abraham. When Yahweh God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a land and make you a great nation, and your descendants will outnumber, will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And here we finally see God's people going in to inherit the promised land as God's kingdom is now about to take form during Joshua's day. And in this particular stage of the life of God's people, it it looks like conquest, as God has commanded them to go in, to take possession of the land through holy war. And so now to this particular episode here in Joshua chapter 1, I believe that what we find here in Joshua's leadership and the response of the people is a pattern of faithfulness for us the New Testament church. Just as Joshua and Israel serve for us as a type of who the church in the Old Testament is to be, so we, the New Testament church, we are called to trust and obey and follow the commands of God and follow His will for our lives. And I believe this account has practical implications for us as we, the church, the local church, that we learn to be God's people living under his rule, where he has called us as Christ is our head and we are his people, his church. This story has some valuable lessons for us on how to be a faithful church. And so therefore, from this passage here in Joshua, let's answer this question. This is the the theme that we will work through. What does it look like for us to be a faithful local church in God's kingdom? What does it look like for us to be a faithful local church, to be a faithful people of God as we are part of God's kingdom here on earth? First, I want you to look at verses 10 through 11 and notice that a faithful church has godly spiritual leadership. Godly spiritual leadership. Biblical structures of authority are important in the way that God works to carry out his purposes, especially in the local church. But this is true in our homes and in society. Biblical structures of authority are important. And the leadership role that Joshua plays here in this story is that he is the new leader of God's people. He is the new mediator of God's people as he took Moses' place. And as the mediator, Joshua is the one now called to go between Yahweh God and his people And he is to lead God's people by telling them the will of God and how they to trust and obey and follow God in their lives. You remember that Moses was in that role. Moses, the great leader, the one who who actually mediated a very powerful way as he stood before God and said, do not destroy your people as you have promised. Moses, who gave them the Ten Commandments, Moses, who led them across the The Red Sea, Moses, who God used to perform all the many miracles and great works, he's now dead, he's gone. And Joshua is called to mediate. This is a big deal because Moses was the one that we know God specially called. How would you like it if the one that you had to follow was the one who did all those amazing things leading God's people out of Egypt. How would you like to follow that kind of leadership? That's the position that Joshua found himself in. But this transition in leadership that takes place here with the people of God is what faithful church leadership is to look like. Because God is in charge. He always has other commanders he can raise up at any time to lead His people because He is in control. He is in charge. He is the God of His people. This is why officer not, the officer nominating and training process is so important that's going on right now at Cornerstone. And we must be faithful to pray that the Lord would raise up another generation of leadership and so that godly Biblical leadership will continue here at Cornerstone long after we're gone. That is God's standard practice of how He calls His people and how He leads His people. One of my great heroes of the faith is a man named George Mueller. If you've never heard of George Mueller or read much about him, I encourage you to do so. His autobiography was the first Christian biography that I ever read when I was in college. Mueller was an amazing man of God who did many amazing things. He was considered one of the greatest men of prayer and of faith of all times. He was most, notable, he was most famous for founding and running orphanages in England. He cared for thousands and thousands of children in his lifetime It is estimated that upwards of 17,000 children were cared for and ministered to by the orphanages that he founded. Mueller's godliness and faithfulness and administrative capabilities were remarkable. Much like Moses, I could imagine. If you read about this man, you will think, wow, what a godly man of faith. In his biography, there's a section that reads this that I want to recount to you. The question had often been asked, Mr. Mueller, what would become of the work when he, the master workman, should be removed? Men find it hard to get their eyes off the instrument. And remember that there is only, strictly speaking, one agent. For an agent is one who works, and an instrument is what the agent works with. Though provision might be made in a board of trustees for carrying on the orphan work, where would be found the man to take direction of it? A man whose spirit was so akin to that of the founder that he would trust in God and depend on him just as Mr. Mueller had done before him such the inquiries of the somewhat doubtful or fearful observers of the great and many-branched work carried on under Mr. Mueller's supervision. To all such questions, Mr. Mueller always had one answer ready. Who would lead? The living God. He who had built the orphan houses could maintain them. He who had raised up one humble man to oversee the work in his name could provide another worthy successor, like Joshua, who not only followed, but succeeded Moses. Jehovah of hosts is not limited in resources. Nevertheless, much prayer was offered that the Lord would provide such a successor. And in Mr. James Wright, Mueller's son-in-law, the prayer was answered. And this is most certainly an example of what God has done as Joshua now assumes leadership of the people. The Lord has raised up another agent to lead His people, to guide His people. This is how God works, whether through Adam or Noah or Abraham or Moses or David or Solomon. Now Joshua, God will raise up and does raise up leaders to lead His people. And this is why our trust must be in Yahweh God and not in man. This is why the Lord Jesus is the king and head of his church and not the senior pastor and not the pope and not a bishop and not a president of something. The Lord Jesus Christ. And though Joshua was a great leader, he and Moses and King David, they are all, of course, they are types. They are pointing us to the great leader to the great king and head of his church, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the mediator between God and man. Secondly, a a faithful church lives in covenant with one another. A faithful church lives in covenant of one another. If you'll notice in the next section of our passage, verses 12 through 15, um, we have an interesting account here. One of the vows that you must take in order to join Cornerstone or any Presbyterian church in America for that matter is the promise, the vow that you will submit to the government of the church and promise to further its peace and purity. It's one of the promises made here. And along with these promises is a mutual submission to God's people and and a promise to, to live in covenant with God's people to encourage and support one another. This is, of course, what it means to be the body of Christ, right? And in this passage, we actually find a very powerful example of what it means to live and covenant one another, what it means to live as the body of Christ. In other words, here in this passage, this is the church being a church. In verses 12 through 15, we have an interesting interchange that must be explained here. From something that actually happened back in Numbers chapter 32. In Numbers 32, we learn that the tribes of Ru- you remember there were t- 12 tribes of Israel. It's estimated that there was probably four or five, six million people in Israel at this time—a huge people group divided up into 12 tribes. And two and a half of these tribes, you know, I don't know how the half tribe of Manasseh. I mean, how would you explain that? I'm on I'm on this half of Manasseh, not that half. <laughs> We all do that with our family, don't we? (laughs) I'm from my mother's side. Um, (laughs) I guess that's the way that worked. But that's what was recorded for us in Scripture. And they asked Moses, Moses, we would like our promised land, we would like the land that we possess to be on the east side of Jordan. So they were to cross the Jordan River to the west side to take possession of the promised land, but they liked the east side. Right, We do that too, right? I'm from the east side of Huntsville. Um, I still had not figured that out with the mountains. But uh, <laughs> they wanted the east side for their possession. The reason being, they had lots, these tribes had lots of flocks and herds, and they saw that the land was lush and wide open and that their flocks and herds would benefit from that, that side of the Jordan. So Moses granted them this request. He said, it seems to be God's will that you can, te- you can have this land, but he implored them to continue with their brothers and sisters in the Lord, to continue with them in the mission of taking possession of the promised land with all of Israel. And so they replied in Numbers 32, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, that means their children, our wives and our livestock and all our cattle shall remain there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will pass over every man who is armed for war before the Lord to battle as my Lord orders. So they said, deal. We will possess this land. Our our families, our children, our wives, our stuff will stay here. But our fighting men will go with all of Israel to do what the Lord has commanded. And so fast forward years later, we see Joshua calling these people, to remember the covenant obligations that they made to God and to his people to fight until the promised land was possessed. And this call to remember their covenant obligations to one another, what an important word this is for the local church, for us today. We too must remember our promises to God and to one another. That's why we want to remind you often of the vows that you have made At this church, we believe those membership vows to be as important, if not more important, than your wedding vows, for those of you who are married. They are important vows that we make before the Lord and to one another. And how important it is to remember these, especially when adversity strikes the local church, or struggles and trials strike families within our church. What a call it is for us to remember that we are called to fight for and with one another, Very few of us are going to be called to take up arms and go and fight, but we know that we are in a spiritual battle and that spiritual warfare is real. And oftentimes the way that we take up this call to arms is through prayer, the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, all of these things. That is how we are called to live in covenant with one another, and to leave suffering among our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I think a very practical way that you could do this right now, have you gone to a friend, a brother, a neighbor, and asked them, hey, have you been affected by the government shutdown? Is there a way that we can help you? Certainly we want to pray for you, but is there a way that we can practically help you? And I want all of you to know, uh, if, if you've been affected by that, your deacons want to know. They're publicly asking for you if you need help. We want to help. Because this is the way we do this, right? This is what it means to make promises to one another. You can come let me know, one of the elders, one of the deacons. We want to help you. But we can, we can do this ourselves too, right? We can just simply add, are you, are you doing okay? Because, you know, groceries are expensive, <laughs> It still costs money to put gas in your cars. We could help one another. These two and a half tribes, they could have easily forsaken their vows. Think about it if you were in their position. You got your land. You got your home. And then you're settled. And then now, uh, you mean I have to go help them now? I mean, I, I got I to take care of my family. I can't. I can't go take care of yours. But they didn't. They could have had all kinds of excuses not to cross the Jordan. They could have stayed with their families. But what did they do? They demonstrated great faithfulness and love and covenant commitment to one another, right? We have all of our men who are of fighting age ready to go and fight alongside our brothers as Yahweh God has called us to. Was this not the church being the church here? This serves as a wonderful example of what it means for us to live in covenant with one another and to be a faithful local church. The third thing here is that a faithful local church is marked by faithful obedience. That's verses 16 through 18 at the end of this chapter. The unity of God's people here is encouraging. This actually shows a fourth way in Joshua chapter 1 that God can and does give strength and courage to his people. We, Pastor Russ preached last week on the strength and courage that God gives to his people through his promises, through his presence, through his precepts, which is the book of the law, but now we will see that, that he does that through his people, through people he has called. The next book in our English Bibles after Joshua, is Judges. And I'll tell you, that's kind of a depressing book when you start reading it. it. It's got a common theme, a common course that is just said all throughout the book, and here it is. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's what the book of Judges is about. You know, translation, everyone was selfish and thought about themselves only. But not here. Not here. Look there. God's people are unified. Uh, they, they, are, they are together. They want to go and do what God has called them together. And we see here that God's, when God's people are unified, God is glorified. The Lord gets all the glory. The unquestioning obedience of the people here is marked by their faithfulness that we too should emulate, especially when it comes to obeying and following God's clear calling for our lives and for His church. The Apostle Paul encouraged the Ephesians in the same way in chapter 4. He said, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And he says, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He was calling the brothers and sisters to unity, unity in the faith. One commentator remarked on this remarkable display of unity. He said the unity of the Lord's old covenant people should serve as a valuable lesson to us, His new covenant people. In the providence of God, cultural and denominational differences exist throughout the visible church. The invisible or universal church, however, exists as one body in Jesus Christ. God has called his people to live in covenant community with one another that we call the local church. And in this covenant community, we're called to exercise our gifts, to use our talents to help and to bless the body, to encourage one another. And so the people responded to Joshua. They said, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. I think it's clear to see here from the context that they were not just following a man. They were following Yahweh, their God. And they saw that following Joshua and his command and his lead was the same as following the Lord. And their response is a response of godliness and faithfulness that all of God's people should exhibit in response to biblical authority, that of humble submission and of prayer and of encouragement. But we don't follow Joshua, do we? We, the church, we follow Jesus. He is our commander. He is our captain. And he is the one who calls us to go. Go into all the world. Not to conquer, but to preach and to alleviate suffering and to spread the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the gospel, the good news of forgiveness of sins through the sacrificial atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has come, be reconciled to God. Matthew Henry said this, May we be enabled to enlist under the banner of the captain of our salvation, to be obedient to his commands, and to fight the good fight of the faith with all that trust and love in his name. We are called to follow Christ, our captain. And may we too be a faithful local church to call God, to follow the call of God and to do His kingdom work here on earth as it is in heaven. As I close, one of the things that we must be careful to do when we are studying and applying the Scriptures, and especially the Old Testament, is to avoid the temptation to tell ourselves and to tell others, now go be a Joshua. Or go be from the good side of the half-tribe of Manasseh. We, We must avoid that because that's not what the Scriptures are calling us to do. As much as we love to put our confidence in people and in their potential, we must put our confidence first and foremost in the Lord our God because it is His presence, it is His promises, it is His precepts that must be our hope and our guide, and our confidence. And this is why it's important to note that in Joshua chapter 1, you may have noticed when I read the Scriptures that we find the covenant name of God used about 10 times, the name Yahweh. In your English Bibles, that's spelled out as capital L-O-R-D. That is used to refer to the proper name of God, which we do our best to, to say Yahweh or Jehovah. Why is this important? We must go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3, we have the burning bush episode. And this is where God calls Moses. And when God is calling Moses, Moses says, who are you? And God announces to him who he is. He says, I am who I am. I am the God who is and who was and who will be. The great God declares himself to be the great I Am. And this is where we get the divine name, the personal name, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And the covenant name of God means that he is with his people. He is our God and we are his people. And our faithfulness is dependent upon his faithfulness. Because it is he who is. It is He who is for us. He is our God. We are His people. And of course, the connection that we are to make is that Yahweh God is the Lord Jesus Christ. As He tells His disciples in John chapter 5, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus declared Himself to be Yahweh God. And what does this mean? It means He is with us. He is with us. He has always been with us. He is our king. We are his church, his people. And this great king demonstrated for us as he did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so may God help us to follow Christ's our captain, our king. May he help us to be his faithful people on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for this powerful testimony of your faithfulness. And we thank you for this amazing way that we see the people of God Being the people of God as they are called to be. And oh Lord, we know that there will be many times in our lives where we want to forsake you, we want to forsake your word, we want to forsake your people, and what we have called to do, Lord, turn us from that error. Lord, help us to demonstrate being a faithful people of God, a faithful local church, just as we see your people here in Joshua. But Lord, it's not strength and courage in our own strength and courage. It is by looking to you. It's by looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us strength to follow our captain, our God, our Savior. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen.